When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to The Noble and Roosh Show, brought to you by Ball is Life and Dash Radio. Welcome back to another episode of The Noble and Roosh Show, hosted by Ball is Life. I'm your host, Roosh Williams, with my co-host, Zach Noble. And today we have none other than the Atlanta Hawks shooting guard, Kevin Huerter. I hope I'm saying that right, by the way. Kevin, where are you coming from today, man? How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Uh, I've actually, I'm in Atlanta back here, hanging out here for a couple of weeks. Going to start working out again. Um, just had a couple of things going on, but I'm doing good. Thank you guys for having me on. Did you have one on this morning? Workouts or just personal stuff? Uh, a couple of personal stuff. Had a, had a lift to go on. Got to get my career registered here in Atlanta. It's always a fun thing to do. So got a couple of ranks. Trying to save what, off to the You're what registered? Said I got to get my car re-registered. Oh, that's the word. Yeah, I've been registered in New York now. I got to get it re-registered to Atlanta. The state of Georgia is going to be coming for that ass with some taxes. So. <laughs> yeah, they are. So, Kevin, um, with the off-season underway, man, have you have you been taking some time to kind of just chill and and basically, you know, wind down, or have you just gone right back into it, no days off? No, we've definitely taken some time to chill. Um, you know, the season ended, you know, it took about a week. I didn't do, didn't do really anything. It was more just, you know, hanging around, trying to get my body back. Um, I went home for Mother's day, kind of surprised my mom went home for a couple of days and ended up staying for a week. I just did a one-way ticket. I thought I was going to be there, you know, three days, ended up staying a week. And I think I golfed six out of seven days that I was boy. <laughs> So that's where trying to get away from the game, mostly mentally. Um, came back to Atlanta and you know, golf the last two days here. I got a friend in town, so um, definitely my golf game trying to come along, staying away from the ball for now a little bit. But you know, body wise, we got back in the weight room and trying to mix in different things, get my body back. What's that? What's that handicap like? The handicap's still bad, you know. I shot, I'm still shooting ninety. Uh, I got to right. break ninety here this line, but you know, it's all a work in progress. So, so com- oh. Yeah, so compared to the last following off seasons, right when the season ends, you said you headed to New York, took a week off. How is that different from the past? Has it been a one week thing every year, and then you get get into the swing of things, or um, what's what's that been like for you compared to the past couple of years? Well, this has been this has been a lot different. The past couple of years, you know, honestly, this will be my first off season that you know, I don't that I'm, I'm going into it healthy. Uh, you know, for when I first came to the league out of college, I had hand surgery going into the league, you know, the second year I had a bunch of knee issues I was going through. And my third year was a COVID year where we didn't really know if we were in an off season. Uh, it was kind of in limbo last season after a playoff run, I had ankle surgery. And so it finally, in a lot of ways, feels like this is my first like, true off season. I'm going into it healthy, can, can attack my workouts right away, can attack the golf course right away. Um, and so there's a lot of different things I'm excited about where, you know, I'm not, I'm not 
not on the shelf trying to fix myself and um, not doing any sort of rehab. So it's kind of something I've been excited about going into this so far. Have you been watching the playoffs or have you just been totally taking the total complete break from the game? No, I've been watching. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of the game. Um, you know, really at all levels. Uh, you know, it, it definitely hurts to watch, but you know, really our, our next series, you know, we lost to Miami. That, that game won Miami Philly. I was locked in. Um, I've been really watching most of the games every night. Um, just big fan of the game. Like to see it. And um, it's been a good playoff so far. Anyone you're rooting for in specific? You can't root for anybody. I think <laughs> I, I want everybody to lose because, like, <laughs> I don't want them getting a ring before I do. So I think so you're no, not. No. I think you're not far off. It's been pretty shitty, honestly. Overall, I mean, there's been a ton of blowouts. I mean, it's shitty. It, it's. I think it's been a pretty shitty playoffs compared to last year. I mean, if you think about it, Kevin, you're. Two games of the series were two of the best games of the entire playoffs so far from two teams competing for 48 minutes is what I'm getting at. That's all I'm saying when it comes to shitty. Yeah, we're getting great individual performances and um, great team performances, but um, what what have you seen throughout the playoffs? What have you enjoyed um, besides your series, obviously? Yeah, it's kind of definitely been been the unknown. Uh, You're going to each game and it, it has been a lot of ways. It feels like it's been, you know, one team wins in a blowout. You know, they, they go into the next game. The other team makes a lot of adjustments. They come out ready and they win in a blowout. Um, I think that's happened a lot of ways in the West Coast and the Western Conference. It feels like Dallas, all those you know, games that they played in Utah or they won or they're getting blown out. They're getting, or Utah was blowing them out. Same with the Phoenix series, uh, obviously so far in that first Golden State series. Um so I think it'll get a little bit better. I think it's just teams kind of figuring each other out. I think it truly shows you how different a playoff series is in the regular season. You know, you're seeing the adjustments. You're seeing teams play each other a different way. Um, you're obviously you're seeing the home crowd have a big, uh, you know, had take a big toll on, on teams that you're going into away buildings. It's tough to win on the road. Um, obviously Dallas was able to tie the series back in that Phoenix series, went in two in a row at home after going down 0-2. Um, so I think it's, you find little nuances that you can appreciate you know, watching a playoff series. And, um, you know, so far, I think, I think teams have continued to, you know, the adjustments they make almost like they figure each other out in a couple of games and you know, all the adjustments that continue to happen, obviously that, um, you know, when they go into it, it's that, that's whoever comes out and wins the series. So, um, these playoffs have been great. You know, for me, just watching, I love watching the individual players. I think obviously Luca has put on a show. Um, I loved watching Drew Holiday in that last series. I think I tweeted about him. Just you know, loved how it, his effect on the game. You know, same with Marcus Smart right now. You know, his effect on the game. You truly feel his presence. So, even though the team performances might not be as good, I think like you talked about, the individual performances have, have been right up there with any other year. I will say, um, you know, the Boston Milwaukee series I thought was really good. I mean, there were a lot of games that came down to the wire. Even even Golden State and Memphis had a few that came down. That was game one or two. Um, the one where the I think the first one where Ja was out, where it was like a slugfest, and then Golden State took the lead in the last 40 seconds and pulled away. So there have been some good games. Um, I mean, the Dallas-Utah series, I feel like, had had some, you know, some that came down uh, and were close as well. I will say, on the whole, though, I agree with you, blowouts, trading blowouts is not fun for a series, right? You want something more competitive. Um, but I, I do appreciate and enjoy 
that I, I would say as mm, I think as far as at some point in the middle of the first round or the beginning of the second round, I legitimately had no idea who was going to advance. And I still really don't. Um, and I think that that is something that I've really enjoyed after a decade of LeBron and the Warriors or LeBron and enter super team going to make it to the finals, you know? So just as a fan of the sport, the relative unpredictability I have enjoyed. Um, and I, I hope that continues. I do think there's a huge problem though, with these playoffs that, that has been magnified. It's a problem with the NBA and the playoffs have magnified it. And I'm curious to know what you think, Kevin, uh, how do you feel about officiating? Do you think the officiating has kind of mucked things up a little bit? And do you think there's some room for improvement there? Easy yeah, there, easy there, Roof. Yeah, I don't know. Not son of a bitch. Fine. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely always a it's definitely always a hot topic. It's one of those things. It feels like every year there's there's points of emphasis that you go in and uh, and they're very strict and they call everything for really the first month or two, and then you see it kind of teeter off and they don't make the same calls they were calling. And um, it's a superstars league. You know, obviously, superstars they get a lot of calls that other guys don't. Um, but I can't appreciate seeing how tough it is calling our games. You know, with with how good players are nowadays, how good we are at manipulating calls, um, manipulating referees. And I me, mean, you're seeing Lucas now. You know his, how he's learned from guys before him, the James Harden. Even how Trey has learned from guys like James Harden, just drawing fouls. Um, you know the different scores that we've had. Obviously with Giannis, I think you can make the case. Giannis, just like LeBron in a lot of ways for a couple of years ago, you can make the case Giannis gets fouled every possession. It's just, you know, how hard he gets fouled, how hard you, you want to call it. Um, you know, with Golden State, their movement, are they pushing off every time? Are they getting held every time? There's there's so many different things that it's it's, it's tough to call the games as referees. Um, so I can appreciate that. And you know, even sitting here as a player and, and wanting to say it's been tough to watch and uh, what should call differently. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, for me, if, if the relationships between players are ref, meaning if you both respect each other, if you're able to have conversations, I think that that goes a long way. Um, and it's not always like that. But, you know, in the playoffs, I think, you know, with, with the stakes of the moment um, and obviously how much, how much is riding on each call, I think, you know, for the most part, it hasn't been too crazy. It hasn't been too bad. I'd rather them swallow the whistle than call everything. So, hey, yeah, so that, that's what I was going to ask you. And, I guess you just answered it, but just to clarify, your your preferences lean towards uh, letting calls go instead of keeping things tight and calling every calling everything. Yeah, I'm a big thing. Like you can't let refs decide games. You know, you you let players decide games, not refs. And so at the end of the day, as as long as it doesn't become a, a football game out there, I think for the most part, if, I'd rather them swallow the ref and let swallow the whistle and let you play a little bit than you know we're out here calling every ticky tack foul and all of a sudden you've you have superstars are going and sitting on the bench. And I mean, and it, and I think a lot of his fouls were fouled, but you know, that Dallas series, Chris Paul, I think it was game four or game five or some, you know, he he's fouling out in the third quarter and all of a sudden, so a guy like that has a major emphasis on a series. All of a sudden they lose that game and um, you, you just can't have that. And um, so I'm a big thing. Let players decide games. So let's say Chris Paul has a relationship with refs on the court at about a 10. I'm just throwing his name out there. It could be. Let's just, like, let's just could, throw out Chris Paul and I'll, I don't know, Scott Foster, maybe. Right. <laughs> Their relationship's closer to zero, let's be honest. But um, Chris Paul and referees, let's say it's a 10. Maybe it's around a six or seven. I don't know. But where would you say on a one through 10 scale, 10 being the best, like your relationship um, with referees on the court is? And how do you develop that relationship? I think it's about as good as it can be. And for someone in my position in year five or going into year five, I think, you know, those relationships and 
I guess whether they're good relationships or bad relationships I've developed over years and years of being in the NBA. And so Chris Paul now being in the NBA, what is it? 14, 15 years. Scott Foster has been in the NBA even longer than that. Um, those relationships kind of year by year, you continue to develop it. You learn, you you learn how they make calls. They learn how we play the game. Um, you know, I don't have too many tech career. I think I'm only at three or four T's and I believe three of them were from this year. One from, it's like my preseason game in my first year as a rookie, I got a tech. And so, um, I think it's about as good as it can be. Obviously, the more you play, uh, the better you are, the more respect you get. So how, trying quick, to get up there. how quickly did you learn every single ref's name? Um, that's actually something that I took pride in trying to know. You could walk out and you could call them by name and have those conversations. So I think I'm about 85, 90% of the way that where I can walk on without going and looking at the box score, uh, you know, what, what these refs, what the refs name is. Cause sometimes in mid game, I go in a huddle and I don't like a call and I'm going up to, Hey, they're going up to a Cisco. It's like, Hey, what's this ref's name? Like I have to go up and talk to him. And we're looking at the box sheet in the middle of the game, trying to see what his name is. Um, so that hasn't yeah. happened too much, but it's a slow process trying to learn it. So just for clarity, by the way, because I looked this up because I, I was interested when you said it. Uh, CP seventeen years deep, going going on year eighteen, which is crazy. That's think, uh, at, at his position. So switching gears a little bit, um, let's let's kind of talk about you know you and the Hawks, right? So last season, you guys had that awesome run to the Eastern Conference Finals. I really thought once uh, what once Giannis like tweaked his knee, I thought you guys were going to actually do it and go to the finals. Obviously, fell short. Um, and then you come back into this season and kind of a rocky season, probably relative to the expectations, end up in the play-in, win, win the play-in and make it to the playoffs and then lose, right, uh, to Miami. So can you kind of walk us through, I guess, the, the ebbs and flows of going from conference finals and then that being the bar to then falling, I think, well short of your expectations and kind of the mentality of the team, you get that in stride and then what's yeah so i mean it's it's obviously it's been a roller coaster the last couple of years i think um you know, our team we're on a good path you know, we're in the lottery a couple of years we could draft picks um start with jc you know, trade myself you know deandre hunter cam um so i think we built up a good core over a couple of years and obviously we're at the bottom of the east for a couple of years and then all of a sudden we overachieved really fast and, you know, we got hot at the right time and um and you, know, you thought it too. I, even before Giannis went out, I thought we won game one on Milwaukee on the road. I thought we were winning it all. So I'm like, hey, this is the best team. We think this is the best team left, and we just beat them game one on their own court. And so you know, our confidence was obviously through the roof. And um, you know, fell a little bit short that year. And you know, I just think mindset wise, you know, we weren't where we needed to be going this year. I think you know, we maybe thought it was going to be a little bit easier. Um, you know, I think talent wise, on, on different nights, we show that we can we can hang with the best. We can be one of the best and we can score with the best most importantly. Um, but we didn't bring it every game and we, we especially didn't bring it to start the year. And so we did ourselves a whole early. Um, you know, we were a lot of guys that, you know, including myself, I had a surgery last summer. I know Clint came in banged up. Bogey came in banged up. Um, you know, JC was banged up most of the year and you know, COVID hit us hard kind of in a bad time. And so there's a million different excuses that you know, a lot of teams had to go through different adversity uh, we went through adversity. It really feels like right at the start of the year, dug ourselves a hole. And then it was more than anything, it was a mental grind all year. You know, from from last year when we finished our last game to the start of training camp, I believe it was 10 weeks. Mostly all the guys were hurt. 
all of a sudden we're, we're five games under 500 and you know, we have to climb ourselves out of this hole for the whole rest of the year. You know, we'd, we'd win seven in a row. We'd go lose five in a row. I think at one point we lost 10 in a row at home. Um, and then we ended up finishing the year as one of the best teams at home, like record wise. So it's like, and we pick that up, but it, it just, it was such a roller coaster year, roller coaster year of emotions where we would put together a good two week stretch. We'd be motivated. We'd be into it. And, and then we would relax a little bit. We'd get over 500 and it was like, we try to take a deep breath. You guys try to take a game and get their bodies right. You know, that, that relaxation, all of a sudden we'd go and we'd lose three out of four. And so it was just a battle all year, honestly. And it was one of those things that it all just, it, it began with how we started. We just didn't start it right. Then come in with the right mindset. We dug ourselves a hole and it was obviously a hole we couldn't overcome, um, made into the play in and, and again, kind of proved that, you know, in certain in certain ways we belong on that stage i think we belong in the playoffs and competing against the best and um just ran into a really good miami team again banged up you know, clinton john would have been huge for us in that series but uh in a lot of ways it's good for us i think going to this offseason refocus and you'll come back in september october ready to go so talk to me about overachieving in your eyes and like the differences between last year and this year because yeah i mean i think they both were roller coasters and um to me i mean some might think i was crazy but as soon as you guys signed bogey and gallo and i have a tweet out there that says this i said if everybody on your team develops right because i believed in you guys and the phoenix suns core that you guys had what it takes to win a championship on paper if everyone develops their full potential not saying you guys were at your ceiling yet but um i just thought the pieces fit and you had the potential on the roster if it got there um so you can blame injuries for this year, okay? There's a lot of injuries throughout the year. But if you look at last year, too, DeAndre Hunter only played 23 games, okay? Um, he's a key player on your team. Cam Reddish, 26, and he was a good role player in the playoffs for you. Um, and then Bogey played 44. So there was key injuries throughout last year, too. Um, how do you, like, decipher the roller coaster from last year and this year? And um, why did it work out last year? I mean, just because you guys – we're playing with house money maybe and the expectations weren't as high from the outside. You no, know, I think in a lot of ways, and that's a good point. We definitely had injuries last year. I think in a lot of ways, the makeup of what those injuries looked like looked different. Um, Trey was healthy for most of last year. I was healthy for most of last year. Bo was healthy for most of last year. We had these good vets. I mean, you know, two, we had Tony Snell. Tony Snell is one of my favorite teammates of all time. Just an incredible dude. Tony Snell shot like, what was it, 60% from three. Then we had Solomon Hill. 57, yeah. 57. You know, Solomon Hill was the ultimate role player, the ultimate glue guy that just played hard to his role. JC, JC and Clint for most of the year were healthy. They, that gave us our size. That gave us our rim presence. And so we missed DeAndre. Like we're, we're a better team when DeAndre was on the court. But for our makeup last year, you know, filling in with Tony and Solomon was we made it work where this year, you know, losing JC, we didn't have a backup really for JC. You know, Gallo coming off the bench and being a 24 scorer off the bench is a huge advantage for us that other teams don't have. Now all of a sudden Gallo's starting and that production behind him, that 20 points we had to find from somebody else and just just didn't have it this year. Um, o was the same thing. O was a great backup big all this year, just like he was last year. So I just think the makeup was different. Um, I think a huge reason why we were so good in that playoffs. I think in a lot of ways too, the playoffs are all about matchups. I think, you know, that Knicks series, 
the way they play, they play with two bigs all game. Julius Randle played the four and Taj Gibson and Erlens Noel played the five. And so we were able to stay big all series. JC and Clint were able to record and I'm taking, I'm taking JC and Clint over. I think I would say any other, any other four or five do in the league, if we can have them both on the court in those matchups and taking that, that's a major advantage for us. You know, New York, they had to play in pick and roll. They're playing with a five. So pick and roll Trey was able to get going. We had, Everything. He's hitting floaters. He is, he's a lob threat. He has me and Bogey standing on the perimeter ready to shoot. I think that matchup for us was just a very winnable matchup. And obviously, I feel like we should have swept that series, and we almost did. You go into the Philly series, same thing. Philly plays with Joel. Joel is arguably the best player in the league, but he's he's a five. He stays on the court all of a sudden. Clint has to be on the court all the time. They're playing with the four in, in Ben and Tobias that you know, JC could kind of switch guard both of them. All of a sudden, JC and Clint for us can be on the court at all moments in the game. They have to play pick and roll. Joel and B chasing Trey around all game and pick and roll is not something that um, you would say is a strength of their team. So again, we're able to play in pick and roll. We're able to trace it and floaters hitting threes. We've lob throw. We've, we've three point. We're tough to guard. We get in the Milwaukee series. Again, Milwaukee plays big with Brooke Lopez, but you know, they're switching. I think bothered us. And that's, I think our next step in our development is they played in drop coverage first game, game one. We beat them in a place the rest of the series. They played and they switched everything and we lose. This year we go to the Miami series. Uh, we don't have our size, which again, I think our size in that series would have been our advantage. If we were able to play with JC, play with Clint, there's our second chance points. Um, I think we would have controlled the pain. Obviously. Um, and we didn't have that. And you could say, look at the, um, you know, the guard makeup we had. I think, you know, on paper, you wouldn't say we're winning that. I think the, those are those are two things that go head to head. Our advantage in that series would have been our size and not having those guys hurt. Um, but Miami, they're a great defensive team. They switched everything. They're in their shifts. They made us make multiple passes and um, you know, kind of showed us where our next development needs to get to. And you know, Boston would have done the same thing. Boston has switched everything all year. That's that's why they're the second best, in my opinion, the best defensive team in the league is they switch everything. Um, and I think that's I think that's where the game is is heading. That's what Golden State did during their really whole dynasty runs. They're able to switch everything on the court. And um, I think that's our next step is getting to that point. Yeah, I think two things that the two things that I agree with uh, big time that you said first is the importance of the role players at the margins, right? Guys like Solomon Hill, guys like Tony Snell that, you know, to a casual fan or just to to an average fan, when you're looking at the roster, you're not going to take those things into account. But over the course of 82 games and then over the course of different matchups, that stuff matters, right? Like, for example, I, I don't think you started most of the playoff run last season, right? So you're a weapon off the bench. Gallo's a weapon off the bench. Bogey was, I think, starting a lot of those games. And then things switch, rotations slim a little bit, and all of a sudden you're a couple bullets short. Not having Clint also, I think, huge, huge thing. I'm, a, I'm from Houston. I'm a Rockets guy, so I'm a big fan, right? I, I know the importance of Clint Capella, and he has been banged up pretty much ever since he was traded. Um, and not having him, especially against a guy like Bam and against a team like Miami that is going to switch everything and keep you honest. And then also I think it, it comes down to having another – you guys use Trey, obviously, as you should, on the ball a lot. Um, and then when you're switching everything, it can get taxing for one guy, especially at his size, to have to take that on um, and create and not really have the advantage of a specific match that he can hunt, right? Because you got Jimmy Butler, you got Bam, you got P.J. Tucker. Anybody you switch, I guess, except for maybe Spurs or Duncan Robinson, who's now been benched, um, is going to be is not going to be the advantage that you think. So 
all those things matter. Um, so moving forward, where do you see this team kind of getting to and ending up? You, you, you started touching on it about needing to, to kind of evolve to that next step. Uh, East is kind of a beast. You know, Boston looks, Boston looks like they're ready to compete for years. I don't think Milwaukee is going anywhere. Philadelphia can retool depending on what they do in this offseason. If they keep Harden, how to build around Harden and Embiid, um, obviously the Hawks and, and so on and so forth. So where do you see the Hawks kind of getting to, like, like what do you think takes you to that next step? I know you've got to get to that next step, but how do you think you get there? Yeah, I mean, obviously, in a lot of ways, we got to retool, we got to reload, just like a lot of these teams. I think I think a lot of teams in the East got a lot better um, from last year to this year, Chicago being another one of them. We didn't mention Brooklyn. Brooklyn will be right back. Um, you know, Charlotte, I think, is coming up, too, that um, you know, they'll be around for the next couple of years or so. And, um, so we're going to be mixed. It's not anything where, hey, we're going to speak into existence. We're going to go next year and come out of four or five seed. Um, I think it's one of those things we have to – We'll see how different our team looks next year, first and foremost. But I think for us, everything you know, starts and ends on the defensive end. Um, it was cliche as that sounds. The two best teams in the East that are still playing were one of the two best teams in the NBA defensively. Um, the Warriors on the other side, I think just offensively, it's in a lot of ways it doesn't matter with, with how well they are offensively. In some ways, they just have to be okay defensively, and they figure it out. And Dallas just has, has Luka and their one-on-one matchups are playing out of their mind. But um, you know, we're the second best offensive team in the NBA most of the year. You know, we never struggled scoring the ball. Um, I'm not sure a team with Trey will ever struggle for a ball just with how easily he can just go get 30 um, and the effect he has with everybody around him. It's just for us, it'll always be the defensive end. How can we figure out that end of the court to, to just be good enough? And um, that's what it was last year when we found that groove. Uh, I think we were in a place where it was it was good enough to to get there and win it all. We just fell a little bit short, and uh, we have to get back to that point. And we got to have a collective buy-in. That um, you know, I'm not sure if it was there over the full course of this year. I was also going to say um, to add on to your point, <clears throat> the remaining four teams in the playoffs right now were all in the regular season and defensive rating all top seven. So I, you know, obviously defense does still win. I, I looked the stat up a while ago. I don't know. If, I, I don't have the updated stat, but as of like a couple years ago. I think I don't think any team made the finals that wasn't a top 10 or at least top 11, 12 defensive team, unless they had Shaq, Kobe, LeBron, right. um, yeah. some combo of that. There were like two teams that were the outliers. And I think one of them was, was maybe the Pacers from, you know, like 99 or 2000 when they lost to the Lakers. And what is for sure them, a LeBron team? Uh, no, no, several of them are Shaq and LeBron teams for sure. That's why I exclude them because they're obviously, you know, some of the greatest players of all time. So you can get away without being a top defensive team if you have that. Um, I think the other one was maybe the Jazz in one of their back-to-back finals appearances. Um, But the Hawks this season, to your point, you guys were 26th in defense. Um, I think you finished the season by my unofficial count while we're on this podcast. So trying to do math in my head. I think you guys finished the season 26 and 14 over your last 40. So you you did surge. could you maybe speak to, if you can remember at least, what might have led to that? Because you, you, you talked about it earlier. You got into a hole, and then you guys got out of it. But it was a little, you know, too little too late, I guess, in the end. But 26 and 14, to, and you barely pushed over 500 to end the season. So what, what kind of, uh, if you can remember, fed into that? Yeah, I believe in a lot of ways it was our urgency. I think it was, it was our, at that point in the season. and. Yeah, we have in our gym, uh, we have the standings that are up there. They, they update it every day. And, you know, I think there's a point where we were about to start practice and Mac was like, guys, just look at where we are in the standings. And we were sitting maybe 12th or 13th and looking at it. 
and above us for like we're those teams like if you put it if you threw the ball up in there in the gym right now i think we beat all those teams and so it was we just find it you know we define the urgency we did come together guys had to get healthy um first and foremost but it just like i said it just felt like maybe mentally it's just the wear and tear of the season mentally and the downs i think over the course of the year was not something that we were able to stay consistent and you know we like i said we'd, we'd win a lot in a row and we'd, we'd relax and and we'd lose three or four in a row and we'd be right back in the same hole and we lose in detroit twice this year on the road in late games where we need those wins we go and we lose on the road to you know a team that's obviously was top four in the lottery for last year and uh, i'm not sure where they ended up the other night but you know those are games you need to win for a team like us that is aspiring to to get out of the play and get into the actual playoffs. And those are games we need to win. And we weren't able to find it in those nights. And that's just kind of epitomized most of the year, just those two games summed up and, and what our year looked like. And uh, we we're able to show it on a lot of different nights. We'd be a lot of good. We beat a lot of really good teams, um, but it just wasn't consistent enough. Yeah. But I think you just need to like give whatever you got to everybody else, because I think you're as about as consistent as a player gets in the NBA. I mean, coming into your rookie year, I mean, to this year, looking across the board, just the way you played, your role you've played, I don't think it's changed that much. Um, I really noticed, I mean, your defense in the playoffs this year, I thought that was great and improved quite a bit compared to um, where you've been at certain points throughout the career. But um, offensively, I mean, it's, it, is, it is what it is. You, I mean, you're as consistent as they get. I know you probably want to level up and continue to get better. and. Um, I'm sure you will. I mean, putting in the work, but um, why, why do you think you have been so consistent? And what is that? That um, is it your role that you feel like has been the same and you, you know what you, you got to do every day um, or how, yeah. How have you developed that consistency through time? Yeah, I think a lot of that is it's as simple as trying to be in the lineup every night. You know, I think health has a lot to do with that. I think if you're a guy that's in and out of the lineup, um, those first, those first games back, first one or two games back, you're trying to find your rhythm. and um, You could have a lot of ups and downs. For me, I know I've always taken pride in being available every night. Um, you know, I was, I was hurt last year for – this was a couple years ago, I think, for, for two weeks. I had a shoulder thing going on, and, and, you know, the little things of, you know, this guy's always hurt. You know, you see it on social media, this guy's always hurt, or you're in the box, or like people who have no idea. I think that was something that I never want to be labeled as a guy who's – who's not in the lineup, who's not available. And so I think my avail- my availability, the more I'm in the game, the more you catch a rhythm over the course of the season, you learn your role, uh, you learn where your shots are going to come from, um, you learn how to play with each other. I think that's a huge part is literally just simply being on the court. Um, and the rest of that is obviously learn your teammates, trying to play winning basketball. I mean, you know, that's something I'll, I'll always do. I've always done is play a winning brand of basketball that, that might look different every game. You know, some games are uh, try to be more aggressive scoring the ball. Other games, it's, it's trying to get guys involved and, and being a ball mover. And then obviously defensively, um, you know, effort is a lot of it. So, you know, just night in and night out, trying to have that effort, trying to be a guy that sets the tone for us on the defensive end and uh, get up and pressure the ball. And, um, it's for me, just kind of always just try to pass the ball and be available. What about from like a coaching perspective, though? Like, what kind of expectations did coach put on you from a role and just a growth expectation from your rookie year till now? I mean, how has that changed, if at all? Yeah, no, Coach Mack, the second he took over, has, has challenged me specifically a lot to to guard. Um, you know, I think with 
with bogey with his him being banged up you know i think inserting me in that starting lineup in a lot of ways is is to be the perimeter defender in our group um a guy that can guard a lot of point guards can guard a lot of two guards and and just try to affect the game and bother the ball you know mac is a big guy with you know, before every game um you know he's talking about ball pressure and getting up underneath guys and making them feel us and um and trying to throw them off and so that's something he, he's always challenged me with and, and, and that heightens when you get into the playoffs. And so, um, you know, he's, you know, coach Mac for me, he's been great. I think he's someone that's been very consistent. His message is, is mostly the same every game. Um, if you're going to play hard for him, he's going to play you. If you're going to, if you're going to move the ball, you're going to play the right way. He's going to play you. And if you don't play defense, you're probably not going to be in the court. You know, he's always preaching. He wants two way guys. And so, um, at times we've been able to show that we have a lot of two-way guys and um, at different times we haven't, but I always try to be one that is. Yeah, um, and shout out to Nate McMillan. He was in consideration to be an assistant for the Rockets before he joined Atlanta. So I was sad when that didn't happen for personal reasons. And then obviously Lloyd departs midseason and, you know, you guys turned it around under Nate. Um, so it seems like he's had a very positive impact on you guys as a team and obviously you individually. I was going to ask, uh, so you came in to the NBA in the same draft as Trey Young, right? And I was I was curious to know if to what extent you feel like he's just made the game so much easier for you, or if that's not the case, or if you think you know, hey man, I could have ended up on you know, I don't know, the Spurs or some random team where you don't have this All Star talent, um, you know, All NBA type guy where you can just kind of play your game and really ease into your game three and D while he handles, you know, the, the brunt of the work. Uh, but, but what's it like, you know, what has it been like playing with Trey and how has he made your job easier, if at all? Yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun, honestly. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's truly for me, it's, it's so funny to see just how dynamic and how dominant he can be night to night and like truly just control the whole game, especially from the offensive side of the court. Um, you're going in and obviously he walks on the court. I think he's, he's kind of labeled as a villain at some point at, uh, over the course of the career. He's, he's not someone he walks into a lot of away arenas and um, you know, people try to get under his skin and people are booing at him and chanting at him. And um, That's something that's, that's never affected him. And, um, just the confidence that he plays with, but just you know his overall effect on the game and the offensive and the core. Like there's so many games where he controls the whole game and he's and he's truly unstoppable. Where he's hand feeding all of us out there. He's he's in pick and roll. He, he's giving you he's giving Clint a lob at the rim where Clint basically just has to touch the ball. He's falling through, or you know he's making skip passes for shooters. Um, anytime, yeah, you know, and you have to appreciate this as a player because not every team has this. Anytime that you know, another team has to double one guy. That's a huge advantage for everybody else. And there's teams that don't have that. There's, there's teams that don't have a single guy that, that you go into like, Hey, we're going to double his ball screens or we're going to run at him at half court. We're going to do him in the post. And, um, and, and we're one of the teams that has one of those guys. And so the rest of us just have to be good around him. We have to figure out our role. Um, obviously we know Trey is going to have the ball in his hands for, for a large portion of the game. Um, and we got to figure out kind of how to play off of them in a lot of ways. And so I think we've, we've, we've grown a lot together. Uh, we've built up together. We've, we've lost a lot of games together that I think we've learned from. And, um, I think we're at this point of seeing in a lot of ways, what it takes to win in this league and, um, and how easy it can be to lose and how tough it is to win in this league. And, uh, we're just like, excited to move forward with him and continue to try to build this thing in Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, he, 
the, the game of basketball at the end of the day, it's about many things, but the, one of the main things it's about is getting easy buckets, right? If you can get easy buckets, you're giving yourself a very good chance to win. And stepping on the court night in and night out with the guy that immediately is going to demand a double team through certain junctures of the game automatically gives you, you open buckets and a chance for easy buckets. So I, I couldn't imagine guarding him, honestly, because you can't hand check, you can't touch, and he's so quick and shifty. I couldn't imagine guarding him, but Zach. No, and I think that, like, what you guys are saying right now is a part of the problem why there's been so many blowouts. And um, just by the numbers, I mean, the blowouts uh, by playoffs have been increasing, and that's just because of the variation of it becoming such a make-or-miss league, I mean, in such simple terms. I mean, people relying on the three ball and um, just getting open looks. Like, for instance, Dallas had... 48 three-pointers uh, their last game, and 44 of them were basically wide open. They just missed them all. And so that could be the simple um, telltale in the next game here if they start falling. But um, one thing I wanted to ask you, is this the toughest you've ever seen Trey Young get guarded in this Miami series? Because I thought they did a tremendous job, and, I mean, it was it was scary from his end, and, I mean, it was, it was tough to see. I mean, he, he definitely... Um, from being the domination, the king of New York last year to Miami, just having him in a bottle most of that series. But, I mean, he, guys were injured, so he didn't have the help he needed either. But what do you, what do you think of how Miami played him? Yeah, Miami did great. You know, it's their connectivity on the defensive end of the court um, you know, was eye-opening. It was something that I think we noticed from game one, just – you know, their communication on that end, you could tell they practiced. Um, you could tell they're they're ready for us. That was really from game one. You could tell we walked into that and they're ready for us. And and they were like, we're not going to let Trey Young walk in here and get 30. You know, we're going to make somebody else beat us and, and get off the ball. And, uh, we're going to rotate and be connected. And um, and it was truly it was it was one of the things we about the rest of that series is, is like Miami was connected and uh, and with each other. Um, you know, we got, we got into a hole. I think it was tough, you know, the, the way we started that series and how tough it was for him to, to get easy looks and, and get off the ball. And, um, and for him wanting so badly to, to have success on that in the court and, uh, maybe struggling with the shot a little bit that, that every player goes through, but then just the attention he was getting, it was, they were switching everything. They're running at him at half court, doubling him, um, you know, hand checking him at every call. And it was a physical series that they were calling. And, um, but I think it's it's something we needed. Um, I think for most of that series, we kind of got our ass kicked. I think you know it took us a couple games to truly figure them out and realize what we had to do, and um, you know what we were able to win game three, I believe, at home, and uh, had a chance to win game four at home. That that would have completely changed the series, and um, we just weren't able to do it. And you know, you see what they they did to Philly. Um, even with Joel coming back, Miami was able to figure them out and winning game one at at home to Boston. I think. Yeah, you know, we lost to a good team. I think we can appreciate that. That you know, we truly lost to a really good team, and and that's a team we could point to and and say, hey, you know, if we get a little bit better at these different areas and, and we work a little bit harder, you know, we're, we're a little bit more connected. Uh, you know, talent wise, I think I think we're the superior talent team in that series. But there's they're a better team, and there's been a lot of different areas. Hey, you heard it here first. That's a talented team. You guys are talented as well, um, Kevin. We appreciate your time, and. I- I got one more question for you, and I think Zach's got one more, and then we can wrap this up and get you on your way so you can go hit some golf or uh, get that car registered so you don't get it. So, uh-huh. <laughs> that DMV in Atlanta has got to be wild. 
It's funny. It's actually a funny story. I got pulled over on the way to a playoff game. They tried to impound my car. So I was like, this is a, this is a whole thing on the way to them. It was actually, it was the game. It was game three. We won. Nice. Game one. Cause my car's not registered. I got pulled over on the way to the game and the cop tried to impound the car. And, uh, and we had to call him a favor to get out of it. But it was, it was literally, I was, my mom was in the car wearing my Jersey. And I'm like, bro, I'm on the way to a playoff game. Like you can't, just, <laughs> can't let this go. Like we're good. Can you tell that? Not, can, can you tell the details just real quick? That's an incredible story. Yeah. No. So I was, I was driving on the way to the game. This was before my shooting time. Um, my mom's in the car, I'm driving along and all of a sudden like there's lights behind me. And right away I was like, I don't, I don't know why I'm getting pulled over. Like I'm not speeding, I'm not doing anything. And, and he walks up to my car and he's like, Hey, your car's not registered in Atlanta. Like we need to fix this. And I'm like, Hey, you know, it's, we've been in season. I've been able to get to DMV, blah, blah, blah. blah. And so you know, he goes away and I'm being super nice. I'm, and honestly, like I didn't, I didn't try to pull the card yet. Like, yeah, like come on, let's go. Hey, what are we doing here? Uh, so, but he took forever. This cop, he took like 20 minutes and like, I'm, I'm at this point, like almost missing my shooting time, you know, your pregame time. And so we're sitting there and, uh, and he comes back up to the car and he's like, Hey, sir, like, we're going to, we're going to impound your car today. You know, your car's not registered. You can't drive. And, and I'm like, dude, like, are you kidding me? Like I'm going to, just, just to pause you real quick. like, you can't just be a, a your place in New York. Is that right? Yeah, New York. You can't just have New York plates driving through Atlanta. It was it was expired, so I had been oh. expired for about a month. Okay. So it was so like you got to stroke the red yeah. velvet, man. Come right. On. So then, I, so then from there, it was like it was like, bro, I was like, are you we're doing this right now? Like, you got to do this right now. Like, this isn't something we could figure out at a different time. Um, and so and yeah, he tried to impound my car, and um, right there we we had to call in a favor. Um, yeah, the Hawks, the Hawks have a really good security team. And, uh, this cop ended up, he had to follow me to the arena for some reason to make sure that I, I was who I said. And so he followed me all the way into our parking garage, let me park. And then, you know, I walked in all good, but I've been scared to drive now in Atlanta. Cause like the next time I drive and get pulled over, they're going to take my car. And so, uh, I've been Ubering everywhere for the most part, but just haven't gotten to the DM. Were you, one were of you the, driving one your mom's minivan or what? <laughs> that was my car. She just happened to be in the car. One of the worst things that people do is take themselves too seriously. And that's the quintessential example of somebody taking themselves just way too seriously. Me too. I'm like, this is not something we have to do all right now. And then it was like, of course, when he goes back to his car and he came up and I don't know this cop's name, but like he was being difficult the whole time. Cause back is like, he's like, Hey, like high friends in high places, huh? Like trying to joke around with me. I'm like, Bro, give me my ID. Let me get the fuck out of here. A <laughs> game to play. That's so uh, funny. If he's a Hawks fan, if he's a Hawks fan, then that's extra douche. There's no way. There's no way he could have been. It was right away. He he had a thing against me the second he pulled me over. Man, well, that's, that's such awesome. a great story. I'll quick. I'll quick share one. Timberwolves elimination game this year. I was so sad um, and bummed out. My my plates were expired. I got pulled over. It was rainy, windy. I was freaking out. I told, I pulled the card that I have two twin baby girls in the hospital. I'm just pleading to this dude. I'm like, let me out of here, man. And I didn't drink that night. And he still made me do all the, the breathalyzer tests and the walking the line. And this is pouring rain and windy. And I'm just freaking out because I'm like, I'm a diehard Timberwolves fan, man. I'm a wreck. And I got two twin baby girls that are still in the hospital. And he felt for me, got me out of there. If I can pull that card, you gotta, you gotta get better at that, man. <laughs> I try not to pull right away. I try to be, I try to like see if they're gonna give me a chance, and then later on, if you have to pull the card, you pull the card. Man, Zach, you had one last question before we wrap this up. 
All right. So we ask everybody, Kevin, uh, just kind of fun way to end the show, but um, you can say being your golfer. And I think this is kind of fun too. We can switch it to either a round of golf or we normally do just a dinner. Um, three people you can go to dinner with or three people you want to play in your golf for some, however way you want to take the question here, but um, anybody dead or alive, um, who would you be in your dream foursome or dream dinner date? I'm going to preface it by saying I'm going to stick with athletes. It's so I don't have to go into presidents and, and world leaders and, and, and whatnot. So I'll stick to athletes in this. One is obviously it's got Michael Jordan just for, I would love to see him on a golf course. Yes. Okay, um, we're going the golf my, road. I like it. My all time. Is Mike, is Mike your goat? Mike is tied with my goat. Oh, he's um, just thinking about the chance of in case he has to play with LeBron someday. I'm a no, I'm a little I'm a, I'm honestly I'm a LeBron goat guy. He's you know, he's in my era. I'm a LeBron okay, guy. okay. Fair. Um, Fair enough. But it's it's not like I've it's not like I'm Jordan is two, it's like a one A one. That, that's my guy. approach too. Jordan is my one A, LeBron's my one B, but I can respect it. Okay. So Mike. So I got Mike. Uh, my all-time favorite baseball player is Derek Jeter. Mm. So I would toss him in that crowd. I'm not sure if he's a golfer. And then this last one is a tough one. Last one is a tough one. If I'm going another sport, if I go basketball is one. If I go baseball, so I'm mixing the football. I, I love to play. We go out like a Tom Brady. You could get the go to football. We could toss oh, him in sick. there. Um, I'll go him or Eli Manning. I'm a diehard Giants fan, oh. so him or Eli Manning. Oh, that's awesome. I love Eli Manning because I did not like the Patriots. So the fact that he took them down twice is like, honestly, it's one of the funniest foils, I think, in sports history. Like this dynasty juggernaut getting taken down by fucking Eli Manning. And the bragging rights up in up in the Northeast is all Patriots fans can't say anything. You know, they got that dynasty going. I got a bunch of friends that are Patriots fans. Like, dog, we beat you twice in the Super Bowl. Like, like we're forever ahead of you. What are you talking the ultimate about? ultimate Trump card. Exactly. That's, a, that's hard to beat. Hard to beat trifecta of Brady, Jordan, um, and Jeter. That's, I mean, that's greatness. Personified. Stick with the athletes. There you go. Well, hey, we appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much. Had a blast talking to you. Uh, we wish you the best coming up with uh, with this upcoming season. Last last thing to say, this coming season, the Atlanta Hawks will. How far will they go? Atlanta Hawks will go. You can't you can't put that there. We're gonna have a better year than last. What's, year, what's right? Kevin Hurry gonna okay. do? Let's we will roll The Atlanta Hawks will not be in the play-in. All right, we'll we'll do that one. There you go, and that works either way because you can miss the play-in or you can make the playoffs. So, strategic. <laughs> Hey, but Kevin, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Guys, if you're listening, rate, subscribe, retweet, all that good stuff. Um, And until the next time, we appreciate you. Thank you, guys. Kevin, really appreciate it.